Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. Happy summer. Hello. It's June. Which means if you listen to our last episode, we're doing things a little bit differently this week. Yes. To celebrate the summer, we have broken our formula. So. On purpose. Yes. (laughs) Um, So this week, Hannah assigned a book that she liked that she also thinks I will like. So that's what we're doing different this week. Yes. And it will be the same next week. Yeah. I'm assigning a book that I think that Hannah would like that I also liked. Okay. So, Speak by Lori Hall Sanderson. This is... I have a very important question for you, Hannah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you were looking at me and I was like, I guess I need to summarize. Okay. <laughs> Here I go. I'm so hurt. <laughs> sorry. Hannah's just rip-roaring to go. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Okay. Ask me a question. This question comes to you um, from Brian of Canada. Oh, because I couldn't think of a question, <laughs> and so I said, "So were you at work and you're literally like, yeah. Brian?" Yep, I <laughs> okay. sent him in the chat and was like, "What question should I ask Hannah this week on the podcast?" Okay, and he tried to like really think about it. He was like, "Okay, what book is it again?" And he like went and read the synopsis, and he tried. And I was like, "It doesn't have to be relevant. Like literally, just any question." But he tried to be thoughtful. So this comes at you from Brian. This, this might be a good time for me to mention something I forgot to mention that Marla told me specifically for this podcast, that they have a book of would-you-rather questions in the library, and she specifically told me in case you wanted it for this reason. <laughs> yes, I do. So yes, I do. We'll have to go get that. Okay. After this. That's another book that we need. Anyway, okay. <laughs> give me Brian's question. Thank you, Brian. Would you tell your friend a difficult truth about their partner? If oh. this is too heavy a question, you can blame Brian now, because I, I didn't come up with this. But I think... Ooh, there's a lot of variables that right. need to be considered. Mm-hmm. Because I think ultimately I would feel like what I would want to do is go to the partner and be like, you need to tell this person. This yeah. is your truth to tell and you need to tell it. But if you're not going to, mm-hmm. then I will. Right. So go do the right thing. Like I'd want to give them that option, but then also threaten slash blackmail them. Sure. And I would follow through on that. Sure. If it was a truth that I felt like was that heavy of a truth that needed telling. Right. I guess we're thinking, like, I don't know, cheating. Yeah, I mean... A hard truth. A hard truth, yeah. I mean, it could also just be, like, I really don't think this person's right for you. You're making a huge mistake, you know. Oh, yeah, I guess I'm just thinking marriage because we're married, but it it wouldn't have to be. Partner can imply that you're in a committed relationship that hasn't been finalized by marriage or anything, but... Right, right, that's true. Oh, see, yeah, there's so many variables. Yeah. But I think my standard answer would be, like, I'd go to the partner, tell them you need to tell so-and-so, or Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it. And I probably would. Yeah. I would not like it. And I think that I thought that that would probably be your answer. Yeah. 
You don't love confrontation, I don't. If it's, but you have a deep sense of right and wrong. I do, and if I felt it was necessary. Yeah. You're an Enneagram, I think, nine wing one. Brandon thinks one wing nine. So that's a combination of... I have a really set moral code, and I really don't want to stir the pot. Yep. <laughs> so this, is, this is the perfect... I think I've varied throughout my life. Yeah. And I think based on when you met me and when Brandon met me, both of your analyses are correct. Sure. What would what would you do? My best answer that I... Because I knew you were going to ask me. So I, I was like, what's my answer going to be? I think my best answer is the wedding dress analogy that I use oh, to okay. determine if being honest is the like correct thing to do. Sure. If your friend takes you wedding dress shopping with her and says, what do you think of this dress? Right. At this point in time, changes can be made. We never have to try this uh, dress on it at any point in time again. And they invited you and they asked and something can be done. Mm-hmm. I would be completely honest, you know, If you like it, fine, but this is what I think. If my friend approaches me on her wedding day and says, (laughs) what do you think? Do I look beautiful? The only correct answer is yes, Yes. you look beautiful. Um, Because there's nothing that can be done about it at that point, and you're just ruining someone's day slash maybe life. Yes. Um, So in an instance of, like, I feel like I'm making really broad statements, but, like, in the instance of infidelity or something, if it was 20 years ago, they completely reformed, um, they have repented of their badness, they're never going to do something like that again, they felt awful, they realized they were scumbags, and now they're in a happy relationship, and the family's doing well, and there are kids, what good does that do to just, like, throw right. a bomb on it? But if someone's still doing this, and you do, like you say, like, go talk to them and say, like, you need to right. get your act together, and they don't do that, then yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's something that it would benefit the situation for knowledge to be right. out there. I don't think truth for truth's sake is the right thing all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it, I think it would just vary person to person, too. Yeah. Like, you know, the person you're trying to, quote, protect, you know, what are they going to be devastated by or be, you know, I don't know. It's just, there's a lot to consider. Yeah. And like, I don't remember where I heard this, but someone said like that someone on their deathbed confessed to having an affair for like their entire marriage. And it was like, great. So you get to absolve your soul. That only helps you. That only helps you. And now the person you're leaving behind gets to question their entire life with you. Where if you had just minded your own business and breathed your last breath, what good did that serve? You're just throwing chaos into the That's air. That's always a good metric, too. Who's Who, good is this serving? If it's just to clear, like, your conscience, but you're going to destroy everyone else in the process, then get a therapist. Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is a theme, I feel like. Every yeah. Episode, you know what? Just therapy. Speaking of therapists, now you may introduce the book. <laughs> uh, yes, because this book, boy, yep, therapy. Okay. <laughs> So, thanks for that heavy question, Brian. Um, (laughs) I really like how you just said his name. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. So, this week I assigned Stephanie um, the book Speak by Lori Hulse Anderson. Here's the... I actually asked ChatGPT to write me a summary. Ooh. It was abysmal. I did not use it. Oh, okay. (laughs) I had to, like, ask it to revise a couple times, and finally I was like, forget it. Thanks, AI. What good you are. uh, Anyway. 
So this is my own summary. Great. <laughs> uh, so this novel is told from the first-person perspective of the main character, Melinda Sordino, um, throughout her freshman year of high school. It's told in four parts that each represent the four marking periods of a typical, you know, public school year. Um, while this is a fraught time for any teenager, Melinda is coping with a trauma that is not immediately apparent to the reader, but is revealed to be a sexual assault by a senior at her school, Andy Evans. And he's continually referred to in the book as it in mm -hmm. capital letters. So she was assaulted by him at a party during the summer. And in shock after her rape, Melinda calls 911, but then disappears from the scene. You know, she's in shock. And this leaves all of her peers to simply label her as the girl who called the cops on their party, and they then ostracize her at school the following school year. Um, the novel's action centers on Melinda's attempts to cope with her trauma, not all of them very successful, uh, most notably of which is her refusal to speak, to literally speak about her experience or to really talk at all. She just kind of closes herself off, both literally and figuratively, mm -hmm. um, throughout the book. However, she finds the motivation to speak um, when her ex-best friend begins dating her attacker, and she eventually finds her voice both literally when her rapist makes a second attempt to attack her, and figuratively through her artistic expression and other forms of nonverbal communication. Um, like, later I want to talk about the bathroom graffiti. Yeah. I like that scene. Yeah. Um, but that is, that is my summary. This is like, I feel like more pressure than normal. I... <laughs> I also felt that pressure. Normally, I'm expecting you to hate it, and I just get to be surprised. Now I'm like, I really hoped you liked it. <laughs> so what'd you think? I am not going to rate this book okay. until after we've talked about it. Oh, that's fair. Because I had a really hard time with the okay. rating of this book. And I read one-star reviews, and then I was like, I'm just going to read a bunch of reviews of all okay. stars. Um, and one of the reviews was like, you get through this book, and you either loved it or you hate it, and both are right. And I was like, help me well, figure out what that means. And the content, for sure, is not something... It's like, oh, here's a fun book to read. Yeah. Like, Which, like, not. I don't need a book to be about a fun right. topic. But I think the discussion on this one is going to help me figure it out, you know? Because there okay. were things that I was just like, I really hated that. And then I was like, but... So I'm refusing to answer your question. I'm not okay. going to write this book. Do you want me to tell you a little about it, like, to preempt our discussion? I know that's not what we normally do. I but... mean, we're just mixing stuff up. I mean, let's do whatever we did feel you, like. Did you know anything about this book before you went into it? Other than the fact that you thought I would like it, I feel like you mentioned that it pertained to a sexual assault. Yes. Oh, and by the way, we're going to have to talk about rape and sexual yes. assault and self-harm and yes. suicide uh, suicidal ideations, there's not going to be a way around that in this episode. Right. So if you need to join us next week, that's Totally fine. fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about that several times. I think that's all I knew. Okay. Um, so this came out a while ago. It seemed 90s? Yes. It came out in 1999. Okay. Yeah. So um, just a little about its publication history. It came out in 1999. It was a New York Times bestseller. Um, and it won the American Librarian Association Best Book of Best Book for Young Adults in 2000. Okay. So, like, the next year. So, it immediately did well. Yeah. There was a movie adaptation in 2004 starring Kristen Stewart as Melinda. Oh. Yep. Really? Uh-huh. 
It was made into a graphic novel in 2018. Emily Carroll illustrated it. She, I like her. She's done some other graphic novels I like as well. Um, and then the 10th anniversary edition was published in 2019, along with um, Anderson's memoir called Shout. Oh. Because she revealed in that that a lot of this was based on her experience. Mm -hmm. Like this, she really was raped when she was 13 and um, had some other things that weren't in the book, but just that informed, of course, her writing of this book. And Shout, by the way, is written in verse. Oh, We've talked about books I in verse. I love a novel in verse. Before, but this is a memoir. Um, I've only read two, but they were both magnificent. Yeah, I really so. want to read Shout, but I, I have not. Um, so that just gives you a little context about yeah, this book. And I do feel like there's some dated language in it. There definitely is. Yes. We used the R slur at yes. least once and I didn't love that. Yes. I forgave it simply because I could tell that we were solidly in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I bet this was written in the 90s when people thought that was an acceptable thing to say. Yes. And that, so my experience with the book I read it a long time ago. So I, I came into this saying, you know what? If it was awful, that's my excuse. <laughs> I don't even remember when I read it, but I know it had to have been in college because I know I knew you. And you thought. And I thought when I read it, I should give this to Stephanie. If it was early college, that makes so much sense to me, given like yeah. what you would have just learned about high school me. And so it's always stuck in my head of, oh, Stephanie should read this. Stephanie should read this. And so yeah. I was like, when we decided to do this, I was like, hey, yeah, <laughs> you should read this. Um, and obviously it deals with traumatic events. Mm -hmm. But that is not what stuck with me from this book. What stuck with me and what I still remember are not specific plot points, but the voice that it is told in, mm -hmm. which I feel like is, you know, appropriate for a book about silence and finding your voice. Like, I remember distinctly how she would name people mm -hmm. that she didn't know or even that she did know, but she'd name them based on their, like, physical attributes, like Mr. Nick yeah. <laughs> and the hair lady, yeah. and, you know, and those are the things that I was like, oh, Stephanie would like this. <laughs> and that also made it more readable and palatable. Like, I, it was one of those books I hated summarizing because the summary makes it sound so bleak, but it was actually occasionally comedic when yeah. you're reading it because of the voice that it's told Because in. it's a 14-year-old, essentially. Yes. And it the prose is very compact and precise and surprisingly funny, and which makes this hard topic to talk about more accessible to the audience she was writing it for. Right. So, I don't know. I feel like that's enough preempting. I, I've got okay. more to say, but we can say later. And I have essentially pros and cons for right. all the things that I'm going to bring up. Okay, so, good. character. Melinda is our protagonist. That's who we're viewing all of this through. And mm -hmm. she has just gone through an awful thing right. and is struggling to cope. And I would assume that we are meant to sympathize with Melinda and care about her. But I didn't. Really? Okay. And... A lot of even the five-star reviews were like, didn't connect with the character at all, didn't even really have empathy for her, but I understand what this book is trying to do, whatever. Right, right. And so, like, several people, including myself, barely managed to feel sympathy for her, which feels icky because she's a child who mm -hmm. got raped. And right. that's, like, the sympathy should be, like, automatic. Hmm. That's interesting. And so that makes me think, like, did this book do its job badly? Because surely that was supposed to have happened. But then 
some of the five-star reviews that I saw were like, Melinda is not trying to make you like her or dislike her. She is telling yes. her truth. She is what she is. Mm -hmm. She's definitely struggling. She doesn't always make the correct choices about, I mean, co correct in quotation marks. Is there a correct way to cope? Right. Whatever. She doesn't make the healthiest coping right. choices. She sometimes makes her own situation worse. Yes. You know, in some ways, she's not very sympathetic. And maybe the point is, so what? And so I couldn't figure right. out, like, is this, is this bad writing that makes a character who you should automatically feel sympathy for, you feel so distant from her that you don't get that. And so, therefore, this book has been written badly because it didn't do what it was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Or is the book written perfectly because what it's supposed to do is... I am what I am. Right. I don't have to be likable or anything in order to deserve justice and respect. Right. And she is awkward and weird and whatever. Yes. She's not necessarily like the likable girl. No. And we fight for her anyway. Like, do you right. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think for me, I do think it was written perfectly for her because that is true. Like, victims of trauma are not, like, these after-school special characters that are like, oh, I was this perfect, innocent person until something happened and now I'm just broken and sad. Like, she's still a teenager mm -hmm. <laughs> and has teenage foibles <laughs> and sounded very much like teenagers I have worked with. Yeah. And some of the defense mechanisms she uses, like, I recognize that those, I've seen those play out. and the way she kind of sometimes is her own worst enemy and will make people dislike her more. And it's like, yeah. girl, you're not doing yourself any favors. Yeah, like several times I'm like, you're not helping people <laughs> right. like you more. But it's like, they're teenagers. And yeah. that's what they do. I found her voice to sometimes be flat. Okay. But the book is also about how she can't find the words to communicate, and you called it compact. And, yes. And to me it seemed, is this flat writing? But now it seems maybe intentional. She's struggling to find words. Some of the sentences are very, like, snappy. Yes, very short. Snappy. And um, a lot of them are just very, it's not purple. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, Which is why I liked it. Because I feel like that's also part of her defense mechanism. Is I'm yeah. just going to very objectively look at the world around me. Yeah. But just... then when she, like, can't even say her attacker's name and just refers to him as it... And for a while in the book, you don't even know what that is or that it's yeah. even a person. It's very, it made very clear to me, like, okay, she's trying to be this, like, cool, detached person, but clearly something's wrong. Yeah, like, this detachment is intentional and it's yes. coming from a place. And so that, like, these are the scales I'm trying to balance. It's yeah. like, was that writing detachment just, like, weird, stilted writing that should have been revised? Or is this, like, all intentional? And that's why I thought this no, that's conversation would help. That's there were parts point. where I was like, I do not like how this is written. That's fair. How it was written honestly did not appeal to me. Except if it's meant to paint this portrait that I don't have to like or dislike. Right. You know? Right. So I respect did that. Did the quippiness at all appeal to you? There were definitely some okay. some bits. Uh, she says something about like not even being invited to her own funeral at this point because everyone, everyone <laughs> right. just hates her. I think those were the bits that I was like, oh. <laughs> there were definitely some one-liners yes. in there. Uh, it was more generally the like, 
diary feel of mm -hmm. you are reciting to me the monotony of being 14. That's true, and you don't like and a diary. And I don't like, and it's not necessarily <laughs> written in diary format, but it sounded very much like 14-year-old oh, yeah. gets home from school, recites to me the things that happened, and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But putting a book in its context of what it's trying to do and say makes these things either okay right. or not okay. So I'm still just holding in both hands yeah. both truths I also that. wondered, after I had assigned it to you and then I started having a signer's guilt, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know, I read this over 10 years ago. Yeah. I don't even know when. And I'm like, I've lived a lot since then. <laughs> I wonder if I reread this book, how I would feel now. <laughs> I um, think there are some things that I'll point out where you'll you'll think, Hmm. Yeah. I've learned a little bit, and maybe that's not the right. best, but this was written in the 90s, and we can't put today's understanding and values on right. something that didn't exist. You that's know? true. And then I still know, like, on the flip side, I know teachers that use it in their classrooms today. Yeah. So that'll, that's interesting. Right. So the next thing is plot. Mm-hmm. What plot? There, um, there, is no there, is, there is no plot. I had to stick with some sort of theme, so yeah. <laughs> I decided to a book with no plot. In that diary vibe, the prose is often very repetitive mm -hmm. and dull and mm -hmm. simplistic, which can make for boring reading, but the point of the book is she's barely getting by, she's not mm -hmm. communicating, she doesn't have the correct words to articulate her experience, and so while it doesn't make for very fun reading, is it still the correct choice? It was a little bit stream of consciousness style, but yes. not quite. Yeah. Um, there was lots of like hemming and hawing, mm -hmm. which is very accurate to a 14 year old's yep. life. Mm -hmm. And probably if you picked up my diary, which unfortunately I must have thrown away when my I parents know. brought it to me, um, it would have sounded like that. But it does read like a depressed teenager's diary. And if that's what it's supposed to be, I can say, having been a depressed teenager, <laughs> it's accurate. <laughs> so, yeah. um, again, many reviewers who loved this book stated, it's slow, there's yeah. no plot, sometimes it's repetitive and No, it's a feelings book. Yeah, but they framed it as true to the purpose of the novel. So, again, I was going, is this bad writing or is it perfect symbolism? Which is it? <laughs> I think it's good writing and good symbolism, but maybe not exciting. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like, I could totally, I can agree with that. Okay. Yeah. And so, but whether or not you rate something negatively because yes. of that truth. Right. And so that's why, that's why I'm having the trouble. Uh, that's fair. It's not a five star. Right. Finally, we get to the message, and this is where I think maybe I'll convince you that some of it doesn't quite okay. hold up. It seemed to me, and I could be wrong, it seemed to me that the message of this book was saying that if you want to receive help and heal, you have to use your voice. Speak up, share your truth. Your suffering is in part caused by you not doing that. Mm. And that's not outright wrong. But it's also not right. Yeah. It seemed to be saying, and again, I could be wrong, see, if you'd spoken up a long time ago, you could have felt better a long time ago. Because in the book, the second she finds her voice, there's this bit of resolution. And that felt very 
inaccurate to me and a little victim blaming of like, Mm -hmm. if you had just taken it upon yourself to do this, it ignores the complexities involved in speaking up, which both in general, the complexities of speaking up and in her specific situation, which includes that everyone is already mad at her. Like she hasn't told anyone what what has happened but she is already completely ostracized. Well, that puts you in a bit of a pickle, doesn't right, it? <laughs> right. Um, so it wasn't a super easy choice to decide to do this. Also, like, it seems to me in the book, and I've experienced this to be true, the longer you go without saying something, right. now the longer you've gone without anyone, like, reaching out to you and, like, saying, we clearly see that something is wrong and, like, would you like to talk about it? the stronger the message, nobody cares about what happened to me, digs into you. Do you know Mm. what I mean? Yeah. Every day that passes that nobody checks on her, she reiterates to herself, I shouldn't tell them, they Mm -hmm. don't care. So she just gets further and further away from speaking up the longer this book goes on, making the whole thing more complicated. Mm -hmm. She's unsure about what even happened to her. She doesn't. She uses the word rape, like, halfway through and goes, is that what happened to me? Where it's like, Mm -hmm. as an adult person, the answer is yes. Right. But, like, there's a lot of people who only figure out that that's the word to use for what happened to them, like, way later. Yes. Speaking sometimes makes things a hundred times worse. And we know that to be the case, is that... Sometimes it means that you get ostracized even further. Sometimes you get attacked by people who are, Mm -hmm. like, on their side. This is why something like 30% of rapes don't get reported at all is because the victims are just like, no, I don't need any more hassle in my life. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. Sometimes the trials that come afterwards are more traumatizing than the act itself just Mm -hmm. because of, like, the things that they make you relive, the things that lawyers are allowed to say to you. I think it ignored a lot of the, like, complexities of why why would you not speak and it wasn't just, had you done this for yourself, mm-hmm. it would have been better. Mm-hmm. You feel me? Yeah, I think I understand what you're saying. I didn't read it in that way. Right. And we're coming at this from two different angles, too. I have not experienced anything like this myself, but have been adjacent to it. And that's why I said, like, it's not wrong. It's also not completely right. And I could have been projecting this message onto the book. And maybe you don't even know the answer to this because it was a while ago that you read it. But it seemed to me that it was saying, look, this would have solved your problem all along. And maybe that's not correct. And I've taken that from it. But to me, the abruptness of the ending and the, like, pretty little bow that I felt Mm -hmm. got tied on it, I was like, hmm. Yeah, maybe. And I don't know if that's just the conventions of YA. Because I was going to ask you earlier, like, how much YA do you read? Not a lot. And I don't, I honestly don't either. And, like, some of the more recent YA books I've read, I've been let down because I'm just like, oh, it was like setting up the plot, setting up the plot, little bit of plot, end. Yeah. With a pretty bow. And sometimes it can be very shallow. There almost always is a very pretty bow conclusion, which are things that, like, to a person who reads a lot and like expects something more complex out of their literature can be disappointing and so in that way it read very YA and I didn't love that but then like it's for a YA audience and so 
Again, right. I don't know if I have the right to say that. <laughs> well, and so I don't, I didn't read this book as saying like it was all on her to speak up. Okay. I read this too as an indictment on especially all the adults around her. Yes. Not so much her peers because they're also teenagers and no, figuring things out. But all out. the adults. But as an adult who works with teenagers on a regular basis, I feel like they all did it wrong except her art teacher. <laughs> yes. I wanted to scream at every yes. single adult. Like, at least some of the responsibility relies on the people around her. Even if they cannot hear her because she is not speaking, you have eyes, right? Yes. She's not speaking. She's failing every class. Yes. She barely sleeps or she only sleeps. Those two extremes. Like, ding, ding, ding. That's yeah. a red flag. She's biting her lips to the point that her appearance is, like, noticeably different and, like, her lips are bleeding. She sits alone at lunch and doesn't talk to anybody. I don't know, fam. Maybe something's up. Like, well, she doesn't communicate with her, like, her parents. No, but you all. live in the same house. Like, well, no, and that's, it's on them. Like, when you were saying earlier, like, she is feeling a certain way because nobody's checking in on her. Yeah. I read this, and there's been, like, it's been out long enough, and it was, I don't know if the term groundbreaking is too highfalutin, but, but it, it opened a conversation yeah. for things that we're used to talking about at this mm -hmm. point, right? And people have written, I was trying to look up, maybe I'll find it later and put it in the show notes, but there have been whole books written mm -hmm. about, like, that are literary criticism of this book and talked about how she uses her silence also as um, a way to retain some of her dignity amidst yeah. all the adults and the systems that don't know what to do with her, where, just like you said, sometimes speaking makes it worse. I read this story more as a, she was doing what she needed to to self-preserve for a while yeah. until the right moment came. And it was almost a story of her figuring this out on her own, even though she shouldn't have had to. Um, and then finding that moment where she could speak up and it have an impact. Mm -hmm. And so the silence wasn't like a shame on you. It was your responsibility to speak up from the beginning. Okay. But more of... Um, a tool she used to help herself. It was definitely deal. a power move. I mean, in the same yeah. way that like an eating disorder is a power move. Mm -hmm. If I can't control something else, I'll control what I eat. Well, it's the same, even with your mouth. If I can't control right. anything else, I can control when and how and if I speak. Right. And I mean, that's the kind of thing that. And if none of the adults are going to listen to you anyway, Gosh, just man. saying, you know what? And if she knows her peer group well enough to say they're just going to gossip yeah. more. No, and her I'm... parents were a little icky, so maybe yeah. she just knew that her parents weren't going to help. But like, and her I... what her social studies teacher, yeah, he was awful. I hated this so much because if anyone had taken the time to ask her what was going on, yep, I bet she would have said because her very first instinct was to tell someone. It happened, and she called the police. Yep, moments later, yep, her first instinct was to speak. Then she got afraid because like you know you sirens, would. lights, whatever. <laughs> And she panicked. Mm -hmm. But if anyone at any point in time had asked her, she probably would have told them. Yep. And so I just want to smack every single adult in this book. Yes. Great. And I think, and I guess I read her silence to them as like a big middle finger to all of them. Okay. <laughs> I, and that's because she is like, kind of sassy too. Yeah. So. And that's why discussion of books is important because you came at it from a different place yeah. than I did and I felt a little blamed, you know? And that and, and I get, I get that. I think that's valid. 
and I didn't like that feeling. And so I was like, excuse me. Right. <laughs> Can I talk to you about speaking? Well, and I think any book that deals with themes that are this heavy and this real life need to be talked about. Because I don't think you're ever going to... There's too much nuance. Like, you yeah. can't wrap it all up Especially in... Especially in a YA book. Yeah. We need, like, a thousand more pages mm -hmm. to even, like, get <laughs> to yeah. the surface of this. But I read it, too, as a journey of trying to help empower her to finally speak up, which is what a lot of teenagers need Yeah, to hear. So, And I feel like the end of the book, to me, it's the very first step in her healing journey. But the way the bow oh. was tied, it could be perceived as, and that's the end of her healing journey. No, friend. If you read this book and you're like, that's it. She's no, healed. No. no, she needs to go to therapy. She probably needs medication. This is the first step of her being like, okay, but things are not cool now just because she no, no. found her voice. She needs to probably be going to therapy with her parents on her own, some anxiety me medication, remedial oh, yes. school instruction. The person who did this needs to face some consequences. Maybe there's some legal action. Like this is step one. And then the book There's ends. a lot more to come. Yeah. And I was just like, there's more. I just need everyone to know that there's more. <laughs> and I think it was, I think I read it too, is like, but now she's going to have like, hopefully the adults and systems on her side right. to help her. This right. was like her dealing with it on her own because yeah. every, every victim has to go through that process because ultimately nothing can happen until they start the ball. Yeah. And so it's like, how do you... So, like, if there was going to be a sequel to this book, it would be the one where her parents do get her into therapy and she does make a police report and all this stuff. But, yeah, we mm -hmm. walk away from this book at, like, truly scratching the surface yep. of the healing process and finding your voice. And I didn't, I didn't read this book as a healing process book so much as a, like, empowerment book. Like, I was like, yeah. it's like, if I suspected... That something had happened to a student of mine. But I know that, like, me prodding them is not going to is not gonna do anything. Just like her art teacher. Yeah. You know, instead, he gives her a book about Picasso. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'd want to give them this book. Yeah. <laughs> hey, read this. Maybe. That makes sense. You know, I don't know, as a tool to, like, get people to understand that they can. But I don't know. That might be a poor choice, too. I guess it would depend on the situation. <laughs> oh, by the way, I did find that book I was talking about earlier. Okay. If you really want to deep dive into, like... This book, um, Barbara Tannert Smith wrote in 2010, like falling up into a storybook, trauma and intertextual repetition in Lori Hall's Anderson speak. Yeah. Um, it's not a book. It's an article in the Children's Literature Association, Association Quarterly. Um, but she's the one who compared the, or she called this novel a postmodern revisionary fairy tale. Whoa. <laughs> um, because it does use a lot of fairy tale imagery, like being lost in forest. Yeah. With those trees she's yeah. making. It has a lot of symbolism, but it's more for our time. Like the damsel in distress is having to figure out what her distress even is and how to communicate that distress to the wider world. And then, right. um, yeah. We're just going to get personal, which you probably thought would happen uh, yeah. on this book. Um, personal as you want to get. Yeah. Know. Maybe I took something else away from this book based on my personal experience, but I am the intended audience for this book. Mm -hmm. Like, 
when I was 16, I developed an eating disorder coupled with pre-existing anxiety and depression. Yep. I went at least three months eating less than 500 calories a day. Oof. I couldn't sleep at night, but couldn't stay awake in class. So my grades began to tank. Like Melinda's. Um, I was either yelling or sulking or crying because eating makes you really miserable or not eating makes you really yes. miserable. Um, hangry. Hangry, <laughs> but like time. times a thousand. <laughs> And just like Melinda, my friends began to avoid me because I was not very much fun. Right. Melinda is told by a quote-unquote friend, like, you're just no fun to hang out with. Like, yeah, <laughs> depression's a real bummer. Yeah. <laughs> um, apparently, catastrophic sadness is not very fun to be around. <laughs> um, I began cutting, which at one point in time, Melinda does try. She tries, yep. Um, I dropped about 50 pounds in three months, and after losing that amount of weight, I was suddenly very attractive to right. some of the mm -hmm. people in my life. And not only teenagers, but grown men. I received yeah. sects from a man in his 20s that I attended church with. I also received bad messages like that from people I'd gone to high school with but who had graduated, therefore they were in their 20s. Mm -hmm. Reminder, I am 16. Um, when I was 17, I got asked out on a date by a guy who I thought was 19, but I later found out was 21. Um, and he said we were going to go watch a movie. And I thought, like, at a theater, and be there before or after a meal of some kind. But he drove me an hour away to his house where he lived alone because he's a whole entire grown man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and things happened that were not consensual. I would not call it no. rape, but I oh. would call it assault? Uh, no, I would definitely call it assault. Okay. <laughs> It's hard to figure out the correct terminology. Um, so most of my junior and senior years were spent recovering from anorexia, attempting to quit cutting, and trying to cope with the sexual assault that I experienced and the harassment, mm -hmm. the ongoing sexual harassment, and trying to figure out what it said about my self-worth and my body that my thinness made me lovable, but that love was fleeting and dangerous. Yes. In every way, I'm intend the intended audience for this book. And this book would not have helped me. Okay. Um, it would have confirmed my worst fears that my depression made me unlovable and a disappointment mm -hmm. to my friends and family, which was already what I was feeling. I also would have felt reinforced that the impression that any help that I thought was at my disposal would not come to my aid. Right. Um, and I did speak. You know me. Right. Mm -hmm. I tend to speak. I told several adults in my life what was going on. I was very straightforward. I was like, I have an eating disorder. I'm cutting myself. And I did not receive the support that I needed for a long time. Um, I want to be clear because my mom listens to this podcast. <laughs> my mom did everything yes. that she could have done in the moment. My therapists were not good, which is not my mother's fault. Um, I had church leaders telling me things that my parents were not involved in at all. Teachers mm -hmm. were in no way, you know, attached to my mom's actions. But I had lots of adults in my life. Right. And I was incredibly upfront. I mean, the day after the sexual assault happened, I told a man at church who I trusted. And he was... Did he blame you? He essentially asked what I was wearing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes speaking up doesn't do crap. Right. And I really hate that I didn't like this book immediately because I love what it wants to be doing. Right. I love what it is trying to be. 
but for 17 year old me who a teacher might have handed me this book mm -hmm. i think i would have fallen further into despair because i would have felt i'm trying to speak i'm speaking mm -hmm. as loud as i can and i'm still just as deep in it as i've ever been because you weren't in melinda's situation where she wasn't speaking yeah you were. Right. and i pretty much had the same outcome as she did for a long time right um and it was kind of me who had to dig me out of that hole right i mean i my therapist didn't help right i did get put on medication which definitely did contribute but like i i ended up doing most of the work to, mm -hmm. to get okay and by the time i met you a year later i was still right. not quite okay because it's one of the first things that you and i talked about when we were right but do you think there's an element of every anybody who goes through trauma and i'm not saying it's like all their responsibility certainly but is it is there some sort of element of you do have to do some of that work to pick yourself up you have to want to pick yourself up for sure and you like, can do it with a lot of support and hopefully that's what we can provide but for sure. you have to want to get up yeah you definitely do and like you and i both know from trying to help people who right. are in really bad mental health situations that you just cannot do it for them right and trying to is really codependent and unhealthy right so like i don't blame anybody for mm -hmm. the fact that i had to pull myself up out of it i just mean that i would not have found hope in this book i would have been that like, makes sense to me i would you have were been in like a different yep. place. <laughs> but if this were a book to try and get somebody to want to pick themselves up sure and i was speaking but if someone was like i cannot tell anyone about this there, I mean, there eventually were people who listened to me. Right. It, it took more people than I would have liked it taking. Sure. And hopefully more people than it would take today. Yes. This was also yeah. a while back, and I was part of a really conservative religious community, and I didn't always pick the right people to mm -hmm. tell. Sure. Um, so there are a lot. And those people, too. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Oh, that's fine. But, you know, hopefully the support system the people that are being told these things might have a better understanding of what to do now yeah than they would have back then i mean even my mom is like right. i wish i could go back and i was like you didn't know because like, what were you gonna do you didn't know because the cultural conversation is more open to talking about rape yes. culture and these systemic problems like maybe now even the people that are spoken to might actually know something helpful yeah something <laughs> helpful to do and so i think my conclusion is for somebody this is a life-saving book right for me it would not have been but for somebody this is the exact thing they need to hear that's sure. gonna like make the difference between them being okay and not being okay mm -hmm. and so i'm so glad it exists for that person it wouldn't have like made it worse for me but okay. it wouldn't have like helped that's, well that's good that it's not like i mean in the same way that like anything did or did not make it right. worse like I don't know. Well, Someone looking at me wrong made it worse when and, I was in that. And again, our different perspectives, you know, you saying you were the intended audience and even other victims. I also looked at this from a perspective of those who support yeah. these victims. This is also a message to them for sure. And I feel like this is something I would want to hand every teacher mm -hmm. to read. You know, like, I don't know if that was her intended audience or not. I'm sure there's an interview out there. You can find. She talked about it. I mean, but that's a good point. I assumed I'm the intended audience because I was the victim. But you might be the intended audience as the teacher who needs to have their eyes open. Or the friend a, group yeah, who's like, like, 
look at what you're doing to this the person. The adults in this child's life. I like, know. It's awful. And so, yeah, I would hope that parents and teachers and school counselors, she makes a comment about the school counselor yeah. like not being helpful. And no. I just wanted to be like, where are the, where are the people? Where are the adults in this room? Answer. The art classroom. Yes, there was one solid yeah. adult, mm -hmm. the art teacher, um, which leads me into the things that I solidly did like. Okay. And one of those things I know that you wanted to talk about, I loved the art teacher. Mm -hmm. He provided, like, a safe haven, not only for yes. her, but also for, like, other students. And while art does not solve a thing, there, <laughs> sure. it is true that there's a thing called art therapy for a reason. Mm -hmm. Like, it can help you... If I can't use my words to say this, I can paint it. Which is like, yes, a lot of times people figure out that kids are depressed because they like look at the doodles on their like on their paper, mm -hmm. and you're like, this seems dark. Because um, a lot of times people don't use their words to say something; no. they use other mediums, and so that was true and mm -hmm. helpful. And if you're the adult in this situation, look out for stuff like that. Like, art that's communicating mm -hmm. things. About every parenting book I've read or perused, because <laughs> let's face it, I quit them halfway through. Um, <laughs> it, one of the strategies of dealing with, like, children that throw tantrums is, like, have them draw their feelings. Have the, mm -hmm. Because even at a young age when your verbal communication skills are not, you know, up to par <laughs> with the adults in your life because you just don't have the language. I mean, we're even struggling with some of the names of things yeah. here, and we're in our 30s, so imagine, you know, a six-year-old. Um, but anybody can pick up a crayon, yeah. you know, and draw something, even if it's, you know, it doesn't have to be Rembrandt. Right, and um, even saying, like, I feel scribbly. Right. You're like, and, exactly. or I feel a certain color or something. It's like, okay, I'm I'm getting at what you're trying to say. Mm -hmm. Say more. Right, Like exactly. Like, and that's the other one of the things I liked about this book is dealing with even though it's about quote unquote finding her voice, she does it in a very a variety of ways. Mm -hmm. um, this book is has been called a coming of age story, which is a genre I love, but a very yeah. obviously specific one. Yeah, born out of trauma, and the theme of like shifting identity or fragmented identity you can pick up on in a lot of the symbolism of the book, like with the way she treats mirrors. Mm -hmm. um, she does not like looking in mirrors. Except for the three-way one in the dressing room, which yeah. again is like fragmented. Yeah. Like her love of Picasso and Cubism, yeah. fragmented. Um, even like the uh, the mascot at her school that keeps changing names because yeah. it doesn't know its identity. Yeah. Like just like <laughs> all these teenagers. Which is really funny, by the way. <laughs> I know. Yep. But so it's dealing with this shifting, fragmented identity, but then the antidote to that is self-expression. And the one quote I pulled from the book, because it is a quote from her um, art teacher mm -hmm. when he's talking to her, is when people don't express themselves, they die one piece at a time. You'd be shocked at how many adults are really dead inside, walking through their days with no idea who they are, just waiting for a heart attack or cancer or a Mack truck to come along and finish the job. It's the saddest thing I know. I, yeah, I remember that quote. And so, like, she's dealing with it. She's obviously dealing with trauma and even a trauma that he doesn't fully understand. But he's saying this is, like, part of the human condition. Adults are like this. They can't express themselves either. So the trouble yeah. you're having. And whether or not you deal with your stuff impacts whether or not you become a fully realized human or mm -hmm. basically become a husk. Right. And, I mean. Whether you have trauma Don't we or know not. adults who have not dealt with their stuff and the ones who have. And it's like. 
ah, I see the difference here. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She does deal, she tries to find her voice in several ways. And these were two that I liked. Um, At one point, she sees graffiti on the bathroom wall and she decides to add her own contribution and she makes... She writes, boys to stay away from, and she writes the name of her attacker. And later, she comes back, and the stall is full of other names or people me-tooing that one guy. Like, they wrote creep next to him. Yeah, but it really helps to have women looking out for you Mm -hmm. and to have this, like, coalition of me-toos. Yes. And, like, these are the women who grow up and accidentally bump into a woman when they think that their drink has been drugged and oh I'm so sorry I spilled that all over your shirt come with me to the bathroom yep and like these are the women who come up with code words and hand signals to use on TikTok if you've been abducted like these are the heroes and I just love that like Mm -hmm. it's vandalism don't vandalize but also do this is also 1999 before tiktok and you could put anybody on blast so that was her like version of putting him on blast and and the fact that people saw this and they were like well i need to warn other people about this too and like Mm -hmm. the school isn't full of this you know culture you should avoid these five people which means that these other girls who have dealt with assault or harassment have not said right at least on a large scale maybe to their best friends fine but you didn't know the names on this list until someone added it and so other people are having a hard time speaking too and this bathroom stall like i loved that moment in the novel it was a big turning point for her but then also for the reader because you've been so stuck in her head this whole time that you almost get tricked into thinking she's the only one and that's when you also realize oh no she's not how many other kids are walking around this school you know dealing with the same thing yeah and so this is before she finds her voice but she does write something very meaningful which is a way of finding Mm -hmm. your voice so this was like a really cool stepping stone and then it was like collaborative and yeah you know i like i like to think that the girls in this bathroom stall grow up to knock over drinks and invite them into the bathroom (laughs) yeah she has to write this report, which she ends up writing about, um, like, the women of the suffrage movement. Mm-hmm. And her friend David, like, kind of her only friend, and they're, like, a little bit barely friends, but... Um, it's her lab partner. Yeah, it's her lab partner. She doesn't feel comfortable giving an oral report on it because she yes. doesn't like speaking. And so instead, she essentially stages, like, a protest. And so she puts up a sign on, like... Since it's 99, I'll assume a chalkboard. <laughs> and uh, We had marker boards. We d- uh, it depends on which classroom you were in. And my, like, true, it was like, is this true. one of the old classrooms or the new classrooms? Um, so she prints out her report and hands it out to the students and has this sign on the board that says, like, I forget what it says, but it's like, this is my protest. I hmm. did complete my report. The information is there, but I'm not going to give an oral report. Yep. And David later tells her, like, that was awesome, but also the women's suffrage movement relied on people not being silent. And so there's a time and a place to use your voice. And even if it is your right to stay silent, sometimes you have to not do that in order to 
get, get, get the thing across. Yeah. And sometimes it's not about getting your thing across. Sometimes it's about helping someone else. And what if the women's suffrage movement had just been a bunch of women who knew that they had the right to stay out of danger and knew that they had the right to stay silent? Well, I'm really happy some of them decided not to use that right. Right. And so I liked him pointing out, like, you're almost there. Like, you you got it 90% of the way. Mm -hmm. I'm so proud of you. But remember, right. there's a time to say, this is my right to not talk. And there's a time to say, I don't care that I have the right to stay silent and I'm going to say something, mm -hmm. which she eventually gets there. Right. And so I just liked... I liked that moment for her and yeah, David. Yeah, I liked him as a character. Yeah. Um, David, who she describes as might be good looking without the braces or something <laughs> like that. Haven't we all been there? <laughs> I mean, that was half of my middle yeah. school. It was like, oh, he's going to be so cute in three years when those braces come off. Yep. So that's what I had to say yeah. about it. And so much of it was just like, this is true on the one hand and this is true on the other. Oh, yeah. There were things I loved and things I didn't. I still don't know how to rate this book, but I loved talking to you about it. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Um, I mean, you don't have to rate it. We can, we're yeah. breaking all kinds of molds here. So, yeah. I'm glad to have your perspective on it, too. I think this is a book for multiple audiences. Yeah. And that definitely should be talked about. And I think just because it didn't completely hit right with me and mm -hmm. what happened to me, again, someone else would read this book and be like, finally see the light and be okay again mm -hmm. because of this book. So I'm so glad it exists and it's the perfect book for somebody else. It wouldn't have been the and perfect book for it, me. I think it's a good book to educate people too yeah, on I, how to be allies. I see that now. Um, which is why I think it's good to be taught in schools. Of course, though, like any good book, it has also, you know, been banned. Sure. So, uh, sure. There's that, <laughs> you know. Even in... In Anderson's uh, memoir, Shout, which, again, is in verse, some of the poems deal with, because it kind of deals with, like, leading up to her writing this book, because this was her breakout novel, mm -hmm. but she's written a lot of other things. So it's, like, leading up to this book, the success of this book, and then afterwards. And some of the afterwards poems that she writes talks about, like, how rape culture is still trying to silence voices. Mm -hmm. She talks about a librarian risking her job by ordering her book for their library. Um, she talks about being at a school giving a talk and a principal pulling the fire alarm. Uh, like, Was she in Tennessee? I don't, or, or Florida. <laughs> um, but anyway, Gosh. I was like, oh no. Um, but again, just highlights, like, I read one New York Times review of her memoir when it came out in 2019, and it just talked about how even though her memoir spans decades, and you think we've come a long way, it also makes you realize how we have it in some ways, and yeah. that there's still work to do, and that this is still something that needs to be talked about. So, like, even though some of the slang is dated, like, we still read To Kill a Mockingbird. That's obviously dated. Yeah. <laughs> but we need to talk about those issues. I feel like this is one of those books, too. I can get behind that, yeah. And I was just talking to a friend of ours this past weekend who teaches in a suburb of Nashville, and she teaches this book in her honors freshman English course. Yeah. This is one of the novels that she reads. And I think that, that... plug. I mean, what we're doing right here, I understand the book better because of your perspective, and you understand it differently because of yes. my perspective. I like the idea of it being taught in a class because then there's... 
someone to moderate. There's other people's views. I like it for that purpose more mm -hmm. than, hey, teenager struggling, here's this book. Because yes. you could be me yes. and it wouldn't really help or couldn't, you know, send a message that it's not trying to send. Right. But with a teacher there and with other collaborative discussion. Multiple perspectives. That would be a great book for, like, a freshman class. Yeah. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to know a little bit more about Anderson? Sure. I don't know anything right now. Um, I didn't know as much as I thought I did. <laughs> I always just kind of pictured her as pretty young, like my age. I don't know why. This book's been out for a while. You were nine years old when it was published, so she's definitely um, not your age. It's just YA and it <laughs> seems modern, and so I was like, cool. Nine-year-old Anderson wrote this uh, book. No, she was born on October 23rd, 1961. Okay. That makes her 62. She grew up in New York State. But then also was an exchange student in Denmark for a while. Oh. Which is I okay. Was cool. But that happened so after her assault. That was one of the things mm -hmm. she did. She went to Denmark. She's gone. I decided to go to college several states away. Yeah, I think so, there's something about geographically leaving the place yeah. that you're at. Uh and she I think it helped. So yeah. you know. Um she married Greg Anderson in nineteen eighty five. They had two daughters, but then later divorced. And I love this. She went home and married her childhood sweetheart, Scott Aww. Larrabee. And they're still married. And they Brady Bunched it because they each had two kids. And so now yeah. they've got all four of them together. Um, but she began her her writing career as a freelance journalist um, and then moved into, like, children's stories. So she wrote a couple children's books. One is called Nadito Run, about a Kenyan marathon runner who ran <laughs> to school as a kid. And Turkey Pox. Turkey pox. It was inspired by her daughter who had chicken pox oh. at Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> but Speak was her first YA novel. And that was her big breakout novel um, that got, as I have already mentioned, a lot of attention. But she's written a lot since then. Um, she's written six other YA novels. Some of the most popular are Catalyst and Winter Girls. Winter Girls is actually about um, eating disorders. Okay. So I have heard of Winter Girls. Yeah. Um, she's also written four historical novels, three of which are like a trilogy or I don't even know if they're sequential. They're called The Seeds of America. That just like gives me the the diaries, the like, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, Dear, Di Dear America? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if they're like that at all, but if they are, I want to read them. I, that is just like pure nostalgia. I don't feel like they are, but I have Oh, no man. Maybe we should just read a Dear America, though. I think America, one's though. called chains and one's called forge i'm not sure what the other ones are called but she has written some historical novels one of them was uh it's called fever i think 1763 or it's some kind of date it's about a an epidemic sure you, love an epidemic i've not been inclined to read those <laughs> nope. lately it'll take a minute for me to get over that um so yeah and then she's written lots and lots of children's books but her most recent books that she has published are her memoir in 2019 and then a graphic novel about Wonder Woman in 2020. Oh. Um, and she's won, of course, a lot of awards, but there are a couple I wanted to mention because I thought they spoke a lot to her body of work, not just this book. She won the ALA's Margaret A. Edwards Award in 2009, which is to honor a significant and lasting contribution to young adult literature. And this was like yeah. in 2009, so it was before even like Winter Girls came out and some of these other books. And the chair of the panel has the quote, Lori Hulse Anderson masterfully gives voice to teen characters undergoing transformations in their lives through their honesty and perseverance while finding the courage to be true to themselves. So I was like, yeah, that's kind of her vibe. That's, yeah. that's her thing. I can get behind that. She also, just this year, 
won the Astrid Lindgren Memorial Award. Do you know who Astrid Lindgren is? Oh, I feel like I know the name. She's the um, the woman who gave us Pippi Longstocking. <gasps> Pippi Longstocking. <laughs> She's Swedish. Um, so this award. I did not know this about this award. It is one of the richest literary prizes. And when I say richest, I don't mean like, oh, rich and like, no, you get money. Okay. You get five million Swedish kroner. I don't know what that is in... Still, you said five million. I, yep. Mm-hmm. It's not nothing. Uh, and it's a worldwide. So you can look up like all the winners since it was put into effect. I think Anderson is only the third or fourth U.S. author to win it. Um, like Maurice Sendak, mm-hmm. where the wild things are. Mm-hmm. He's won- Jacqueline Woodson has won it, who wrote Brown Girl Dreaming. Um, but they, the Astrid Lindgren Memorial, wrote this about Anderson. In her tightly written novels for young adults, Lori Hall Anderson gives voice to the search for meaning, identity, and truth, both in the present and in the past. Her darkly radiant realism reveals the vital role of time and memory in young people's lives. Pain and anxiety, yearning and love, class and sex are investigated with stylistic precision and dispassionate wit. Dispassionate wit. Yeah. With tender intensity, Anderson evokes moods and emotions and never shies from even the hardest things. Uh, Which I do feel like, you know, teenagers go through a lot and we tend to want to, like, everybody wants to ban books. Like, no, they can't read this. And I'm like, guys, half of them are living it. They lived it just now. Like, you, we need to talk to them. Like, you've got to give them more credit. I know, like, it's fascinating, like, you think I'm not going to learn about this because I didn't read a book, but I go to school with 2,000 teenagers, like, I I definitely learned. Um, So, I mean, like I said, it's been a long time since I've read this, I'm curious to revisit it now from a different perspective, and having had this conversation. I think just being an adult is going to make you, I mean, I guess you were an adult, but you were also a baby. Well, I was also in college. Yeah. Like, not an adult. No, a proto adult. <laughs> um, but I'm also curious to read some of her other work. Like, yeah, I think I just got busy and forgot about it. I'm her. really interested in the history ones. Yeah, I'm interested in her memoir because I like memoirs. Yeah, so. I have some three star reviews. It was three a... star. Woof. Say, <laughs> we're really mixing it up. I just decided to do whatever I wanted. Woo! I have one star reviews, and no, I don't have three of them. That number came from nowhere. <laughs> I just decided to say three. Cool. <laughs> I would love to read them. Great. Um, there's one I don't actually want you to read, but Jody's review was, this book should be burned, or at least taken off shelves. And then she goes off, oh. and she talks about the history teacher, and, like, whites have it really hard, too. What? So, yeah, so I just wanted to give a shout out to white supremacist book banner Jody. We're not going to read her review, but you can read the others. But when you mentioned book banning, I was like, yeah, I know some of those. I feel like if a book's been banned, that's usually the mark of, oh, this is probably has something important to talk about. Yeah. Thank um, you for your opinion, Jody. Yes. Lauren. That's a spelling of Lauren. I know. I've I never know. seen. Um, she, she said, three points for bringing up Truman. That's it. What is she even? The president? Negative three points for bringing oh, up. Oh, oh. Sorry? Yep. Here, can't read. Like the president? Truman? I guess, yeah. I don't remember. She really her. hates Harry S. Truman? I don't know. I don't have strong opinions because I don't know anything about Truman, but I just thought that was. Okay. She has a really <laughs> hard opinion. Negative three points for bringing up Truman. Okay. <laughs> and that's all she wrote, guys. I don't know if that makes her conservative or liberal or anything because I don't know anything about Truman. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to 
puzzle over this one. I know. Like, let's see if we can figure it out. What does she mean? She maybe she was drunk. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, I'm sorry. This is a real person who wrote this. <laughs> Probably doesn't listen to our podcast. I'll read Stephanie's. Not me. Quote. Art without emotion is like chocolate cake without sugar. It makes you gag. End quote. I could not agree with that quote more because that is precisely how I feel about speak. <laughs> I love when they use quotes from the book against yep. the book. Yep. That's that's clever. B writes, this book has some strange lines in it that made me laugh at how absurd they are. Hey, me too. Uh, quote, I have been dropped like a hot Pop-Tart on a cold kitchen floor. It was giving uh, bacon-greased pe- uh, precipice vibes yeah. to me. I read that and I was like, like a precipice covered in yep. bacon grease. Yep. Also, she's experiencing physical symptoms of depression, yet is somehow able to shoot 42 foul shots in a row in gym class, even though she doesn't play basketball. As long as I didn't think too much about the words, I could keep reading. <laughs> what are you thinking about? I just liked that. Like, as long as I pretty much ignored what was being said, I could read it. But that Pop-Tart quote, like, that's what I liked about it. I was like, <laughs> these are hilarious. Like, keep it coming. Ashley wrote, who needs therapy when you can carve a tree? <laughs> Which is her final art project, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. And that is all I have for you in the way of one star reviews right. for this Keeping book. Keeping it, gotta keep some consistency. Sure. Okay. And next week, we're breaking yes. the mold again. I'm assigning a book to Hannah that I liked that I also think she will like. So next week, Next week's book is Half Sick of Shadows by Laura Sebastian. Okay. So we'll be back to talk about that next week. Yeah. Thank you for listening to You Might Hate This Book. Join us again next week for more discussion of the books we love. And other books we love, question mark? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) We'll see. You can help others find this podcast by leaving us a review and five-star rating. And don't forget to hit subscribe. You can offer additional support and earn cool perks by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash hatethisbookpod. Special thanks, as always, to the Montague Workshop. See you next week. She was born on October 23rd, 1961. Okay. That makes her 62. So she's like... Mom, my mom, or older. She's older than my mom, I should say that. (laughs) She's younger (laughs) than my mom. mom. (laughs) Um, I will cut that, Deb.